Welcome to There's a Method to the Madness. My name is Rob Maxwell, and I'm an exercise physiologist and personal trainer. I'm the owner of Maxwell's Fitness Programs, and I've been in business since 1994. Writing programs, supervising programs, trying to help everybody get more fit. Today's podcast is a question that comes from Dr. Gary Frick, psychiatrist client of mine, and uh, I will get into why his question is so great here in a bit. But he asked about injuries. Like a lot of people don't know when to push through and when to rest. I thought it was a great question. So I'm going to tackle that today. Before I do, let me thank our sponsors, Jonathan and Lynn Gilden at the Gilden Group at Realty Pros. They currently have over 275 star reviews on Zillow and they are true professionals in the field. I vouch for them. If you're selling your home, if you're looking to buy something else, give them a shout. I will put their information in the show notes. All right. So when do you suck it up, buttercup? And when do you rest? So it's a great question coming from Gary because um, he's somebody that went through it. He's been training with me. Gosh, he's, it's probably been seven or eight years now. And he's been a uh, tremendous success story. Like he is one of the big reasons why I continue doing what I do. Meaning I love when people take the information and get better. I love working with injuries, things like that because they're really fixable. Like it's one of those things that I really, I mean, I know a lot about all of this stuff, not being arrogant, but I mean, when you put in the time I have in education and experience, you tend to learn a few things. Um, I'd say equally know about all of it, like equally know about weight loss and muscle gain and strength and injury prevention and diet. I mean, it's pretty balanced all the way around as far as my um, knowledge and experience. But the greatest success we have tends to be with uh, working with the injuries, preventing injuries, and um, you know, getting people stronger. In other words, not necessarily the weight loss clients. And a lot of that is simply because we have more control over the former than the latter. I mean, in the former, you know, they come in, we work on their muscle imbalances and weaknesses, and lo and behold, they're here. We do it. They get better. They rock and roll where the uh, diet and weight loss, you know, we, we see them and sometimes it's not, it's uh, not live sessions, but we work with them away from here, but we can't control. I can't control what they put in their mouth and if they're going to follow the program. So I know for sure it's no guesstimate whatsoever that that's what leads to less enjoyment because I want to see people get better, you know? Having said that, uh, we do have new diet software, and so I'm making some meal plans for people again. And I do like that because a lot of it is having the access to the software to be able to help people easier. Because as I said, the weight loss is going to come from outside of the gym. So Gary's interesting. He came in, and he was seeing a chiropractor, and the chiropractor said, you know, you need to go to this guy. And... Um, he was already basically out of the acute stages of his back injury and he was feeling better, but now it was time to get better. And the chiropractor rightfully so told him that. And, uh, that, that's a great thing. So when, when he came in, you know, I did my typical evaluation of him and figured out, you know, 
what his injury was. And I had some of the information on that and, uh, you know, did some assessments on him and figured out where he was and, um, pretty, you know, over the overall pretty fit guy, he was very healthy. Um, but was letting this thing really get in his head, which is interesting, of course, because as I said, he is a psychiatrist and I have a psychology degree. So I know like sometimes the more, you know, the easier it is to actually let things get in your head. So that's what I found out. And and that's like where we took this big turn. Now he was doing okay from the get go, but I remember one day we were working and, um, we're doing something and I noticed that, uh, he was able and capable, but there were certain fears in doing certain movements. And I said, um, so Dr. Frick, do you ever have patients that when you tell them to take their medication, they're a little bit hesitant because they're fearful. Maybe they've heard about certain side effects or maybe there's this stigma or maybe something like that. So they're a little bit fearful, but you know, like if they just take this medication and go to therapy, that they're going to get better. Like, you know, for sure that that is going to happen. I said, yes. I said, okay. I said, so I know if you do these exercises in this way, there's not going to be the side effects like there's not going to be a side effect of further injury or whatever, but I know you have to do it. And I, and I saw it, you know, when you're working with somebody and all of a sudden you make that connection and you see the light come on, I saw it. He's like, Oh, okay. Okay. And so from that day on, we were, you know, he was able to trust. And so in any relationship like that, you have to build the trust. Like me as the professional, I just can't bark orders, sit back and expect people to always do just as I say. I mean, that's not reasonable. I wouldn't want that. I don't think that works. So like that, building trust is on both parties. One has to be willing to trust the person that they've hired to help them. But the person that's been given that opportunity also needs to establish trust by saying, look, let me explain why this is going to work. And that's what I did in that instance because I know fear is real. I talked about it last night at this workshop that I did for exercise in the elderly. I mean, I know fear is real. And what we have to do is get people past the fear because it's actually the fear that's going to get them into trouble. And so once I was able to get that across to him, he started making these great strides. And it's been seven years, as I said, maybe eight. And we don't talk about the back anymore. I mean, his back's fine. I mean, it got strong within just a couple months after that. And now he's doing squats on the Smith machine. He's doing heavy leg presses. He's gotten back into competitive running because he ran in college. And now he loves doing 5Ks and he's really good at 5Ks. You know, he's actually one of the best athletes in 5Ks for his age group in the area. I mean, if he's not in the money, if he's not on the podium, one, two or three, it was a bad day. I mean, he's gotten really good and he loves it. And he competes in basketball. He loves to lift. He's done some of our events here, like bench press competition. He's very proud of the fact that he can now bench press his own weight at his age, which is an awesome goal. And um, no one would have thought that. Not he nor I probably when he first came in to do back rehab. He would have thought, oh, no, you know, can't do that. You know, we're, we're going to do these rehab exercises, which we did. 
but he started getting better so quickly that we were able to progress. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. That's like an interesting question coming from him. And I know him being really good in the field and really helping his patients try to get overall well, because I know for a fact he buys my books and gives them to the patients because he wants them to have wellness in their life. He wants them to exercise and eat right because he knows how valuable that is to his patients. So I know he's being very selfless here asking these questions because I'm sure he gets this question a lot. So that's the long way around introducing this topic. So how do we know when to push through? Well, he knew he had a problem and he had to fix it and he did. And now he continues to work on it because we do what I like to call prehab or maintenance. So we don't let him slip back into what led to the problem to begin with, which was atrophied back muscles, atrophied hip muscles, glute muscles, things like that are going to lead to back problems. So, you know, that doesn't happen. We keep him strong doing that. And then he gets massages here with Ellen once a week or so, and he keeps his body limber that way. He does his homework. So like, you know, hopefully all of that is a thing of the past with that. All right. He did the right move originally treating it. So how do we know? Well, we have acute issues and chronic issues. All right. So acute issues means something happens at the moment and we always have to pay attention to it always. Now I've been doing stuff for a really, really long time. I've been very, you know, shoot, I've been probably competitive since I was 14 or 15, maybe even younger because In my early teen years, I was a competitive tennis player and played on tennis teams. And so, I mean, you know, I didn't get hurt back then. It's so hard for, I think, teenagers to get injured, you know, unless you're playing football and those things can happen. And I had some injuries in my 20s and things and minor, one major. Um, So those things, you know, absolutely happen. So I know what to look for now. And I know that, like, that is the gift of experience. So... How do I pass it on to people? Well, we have to pay attention and we also have to know what to look for. And it is such a gray area. Now, some people are hypervigilant and hypervigilant means they're a little too aware of everything that goes on. So, you know, we have to pay attention to that as professionals, but then we have to guide them a little bit. And they're a little too, you know, safe and that can cause problems because then if you're a little too safe, you can end up getting hurt because you're not taking enough risks. And anytime we exercise in it to a very small extent, it's a risk, right? So we're causing a little greater stress than we've done before. So if we do a leg press machine, which is great for the hips, great for the thighs, great for the glutes, 
you know, obviously there is a slight, slight risk. Ooh, what if this doesn't work right? I mean, again, the risk is so marginal, but the point is, is that, that there is one. And if we don't try to overload a little bit, in other words, jumping into that risk, we're not going to get stronger. So the biggest risk is not doing it. And I spoke a lot about that. It's absolutely not doing it. At the same time, we have to pay attention when things come up. So again, acute means something happens at the time. If you feel a pop, if you hear a pop, and it's a stabbing style pain, you pulled something or you tore something. Now, from my hypochondriacs out there, don't get too freaked out when you hear this, but a pole is a slight tear. I mean, that's what it is. A pulled muscle is a slightly torn muscle. Now that does have to be paid attention to. So muscle pulls, we have to pay attention to. We really do. Now they're not going to be the end of the world unless we continue to like do something silly through it and then we can rupture the muscle. And then that is a big time. So in other words, let's say somebody's feeling a lot of tenderness in their Achilles tendon. So they have pulled either the tendon a little bit, again, which is a slight tear. They pulled that tendon a little, or they pulled the gastrocnemius, which connects into the Achilles tendon. And, you know, they felt the sharp pain. And then as they walk on it, they feel like this pulled muscle. Okay, that's a pulled muscle or pulled tendon. We need to pay attention to that. Let's say they ignored it and they continued running up and down the basketball court, playing basketball. Well, they could rupture that Achilles tendon. And, you know, that was one of Kobe Bryant's injuries um, later on in his career. It is a lot of times a career-ending injury for professional athletes, a torn muscle to that extent. Dan Marino pulled his, I think in 1996, he tore his Achilles tendon, complete rupture, and he had to play the rest of his career in a boot. Um, Fortunately for him, he was never the most mobile quarterback in the world anyway. Uh, He relied on his arms, so he was able to still play at a high level. But if you were, say, a Patrick Mahomes, somebody who, if you follow football, somebody who runs around on, on the field a lot, that Achilles tendon rupture could have been the end of his career. So it's serious. So we want to pay attention to pulled muscles. Okay. So no, we don't go right back to activity when we pull a muscle. So Gary, Dr. Frick, he is very good about that. He is athletic. He is fit. We do a lot of running when he works out with me. And sometimes he will feel his calf slightly tweak a little bit. It's usually when we are doing sprints And again, you know, anytime we up anything, it's a little bit of a risk. So we have to pay attention not to scare the people that get a little too alarmed, but it's just the way it is. And, but he's super good about saying, you know, I felt like I might've tweaked that calf a little bit on that last one. I said, all right, that's it. You know, no more hard running. So we pay attention to it. And if we don't really pull it too bad, and again, there's, gray area and levels of degrees with it, you know, take, taking a couple days off of it, that pulled muscle is probably fine. Now, if it goes beyond a couple days, you just have a kind of a chronically pulled muscle and yes, you have to let it heal because pulled muscles and tendons go together. Okay. So when you hear tendonitis, that is a pulled tendon. They go hand in hand. Why? Still on it. And why is my phone talking to me? Thank you, Siri, so much for that. Um, I guess Siri was trying to look up the definition of a pulled muscle. 
So a muscle is connected to the bone via tendon. All right. So they go hand in hand. The tendon connects the muscle to the bone. So if you pull it deep into the muscle, you may pull the tendon portion of it. If you pulled it more superficially, more closer to the surface, it may be the muscle. But in any event, it's kind of the same thing. The tendon takes a little longer to heal than the muscles. We don't want either, but you know, the muscles a little bit better of a pole, but they're essentially the same thing. It's what we would call a soft tissue injury. So with that, you've got to take the time off. And that doesn't mean complete rest. It just means not doing what aggravates it. So pulled calf muscle, for example. No, you should not run until you're pain-free. End of story. So there's a ton of modalities to do, but that's not what this is about. Dr. Frick's question is when to push through, when not to. So when we have a soft tissue injury, a muscle pull or a tendon pull, we do not do anything that exasperates the injury. We don't do anything that makes it worse. What makes it worse? Something you feel when you do it. Does that mean complete layoff? No. It means if it's a calf, most likely you can bike. Most likely you can swim. You might even be able to power walk because it's a different motion than running. But most likely you cannot run. For how long? Maybe a couple days? Maybe a week? Maybe two weeks? Usually muscle pulls don't go beyond two weeks unless you're not letting them heal. All right. The rule of thumb is two weeks on a muscle, four weeks on a tendon typically. Now tendons take a little bit longer because the blood flow isn't as great. And the other reason is that so many people will not lay off what they're doing and they continue to get worse. So take, for example, a uh, soft tissue injury of the elbow. All right. Which we have golfer's elbow, which is medial epicondylitis and we have tennis elbow which is lateral epicondylitis so those are soft tissue injuries of the tendon of the forearm or elbow and uh, you know they take forever to heal and a lot of times it's because we don't stop using that part of our upper body and it continues to get exasperated every time we do doesn't mean we can't work out it means you know in that case probably chest presses are fine probably a lot of tricep work is fine most likely deltoid work is fine, but like shoulder presses, lateral raises, but maybe back work like rows and pull downs are a no-no until it heals. And most notably bicep curls. Now we rehab it and do things to try to bring the blood flow back, but at the same time, we don't push through it. All right. Now those are like the soft tissue things that you notice at the time. Now, what about if we hear that pop and pull and it's in a joint, not a muscle, like the knee, all right? We hear a pop and there's not really soft tissue there, right? It's all hard tissue. It's ligaments, bones. So you're like, okay, what was that? Well, you know, a pop could be like meniscus or even worse, ACL, anterior cruciate ligament. So do we buckle? Can we bear weight? You know, those are all questions we ask ourselves. If we can't bear weight, then we do have to get that checked out, right? That's a lot of pain in there and we have to get it checked out. And then we have to go from there and figure out what's going on. So we don't push through that when we hear a pop in a joint, you know, like a knee, a hip, and we can't bear weight. I mean, I hope that's kind of obvious and commonsensical, but at the same time, you know, just to make sure you know that we don't push through that. Now, let's say you've had some arthritic knees or maybe you've had some damaged meniscus in the past, which really we all do. The meniscus is simply the cushioning, the cartilage between the tibia fibula and the femur. 
And um, it, it works basically like cushioning. That's what it is. And none of our meniscus after probably age of 25 is perfect. It's no longer like that perfectly smooth joint anymore. So, and nowadays they most likely leave it alone unless it gets really bad or there's a piece of loose meniscus in there floating around that they can pull out. But other than that, they don't like to really do too much about it. And that's the right thing to do. So if you know that and that's a chronic thing and you're feeling that, can you push through? Yeah, you let pain be your guide. You know what it is. I mean, you know, one of the worst things to do with arthritis, and I know these are kind of two different things, but they're both chronic, is rest. I mean, you know, we don't do things that cause pain with arthritis. So like if we have very painful hips and knees and when we run, we get pain. Now, we don't push through that. I mean, that's inflammation. And the inflammation could be coming from aggravation or it could be coming from something in your diet or something else. But when it's inflamed like that, no, we don't push through that, but we definitely don't rest either. We walk, we bike, we do something non-impactful. And, you know, the worst thing we can do is rust. And that's what happens with arthritis. We start to rust and we don't do anything. There was a great study done in New York City with runners and they looked at men and women in their 80s and 90s and they looked at two different groups one group ran their whole life and the other group did not and what they found was the ones that did not run their entire adult life had more osteoarthritis than the ones that did so running doesn't cause arthritis that's a myth and um, we need to understand that like sitting around because things hurt is maybe the worst thing to do we have to move we have to find that gray area with that though. So if it's chronic, like nothing pops, you just know you have some pain sometimes. You let pain be your guide. You decide, is this getting worse as I go? The answer is no, I'm actually warming up and feeling better. And that's usually how it is with me with most joint pain I get. You know, I might get a little stiff knees or hips or ankles or something in the very beginning of a run or something. But then after a mile, it's gone. Okay, keep going, you know. You're not causing damage. Like we have to get that out of our head. The, the biggest damage we can cause is by sitting around doing nothing. And the studies have proven that. Yes, we have to move things around sometimes. In other words, maybe running does really just exasperate whatever condition we have. That's possible, as is any other movement. Then we move it to something else. But just don't think running or some of these exercises causes things because it doesn't. The number one precursor to arthritis is actually prior injuries. So people that played a lot of football and stuff are more prone to osteoarthritis because they took a lot of hard hits and tore their ACLs and PCLs and MCLs and they tore their labrums and rotator cuffs. So like all these things that get torn, yeah, you know, that's impactful type injuries. That's usually what brings in the arthritis. Still, you shouldn't sit. You should move. And now they know that. Like now I follow a lot of the ex-NFL greats or NBA greats. And, you know, um, they might even have replaced knees. But, you know, they're out there power walking and biking. And there's this thing they do down in Miami for cycling. And I see a lot of the ex-Miami Dolphin players get in and do these 50-mile rides on their bicycles, you know. And that's great. You know, they're staying active. They're moving. And uh, if you follow sports, you know, the ones that don't and kind of like have a lot of injuries, retire and don't move and they put on a lot of weight. Unfortunately, it does seem like they don't last very long, right? I mean, they seem very unhealthy. So one of the worst things we can do is to sit around. All right. So identify the source, decide if it gets worse when you do something, 
If it does, don't do that activity. If it lessens when you do the activity, do the activity. Don't take off because things might be chronically hurting. For example, the arthritic tile stuff, figure something else to do. If it's soft tissue like tendon or muscle, make sure that you identify it. And that's acute pain. We don't want to work through that. So that's acute. So we don't push through acute. We might push through chronic, as I've already said. We don't push through acute, something that's very painful and just happened. All right. We do something else. We rest by not doing that activity, but by doing something else, because that will generate more blood flow. And a lot of times with muscle and tendon poles, you have a problem with the antagonistic muscle of that. So in other words, the opposite muscle might be a little weak and you can train the opposing muscle to help with that muscle pull. All right, so great question. Keep them coming. And speaking of rehabbing and taking care of ourselves, I wanna thank our sponsor, chiropractic physician, Dr. Doris Antos, which is with us for another round of sponsoring. She was very happy with our podcast and we're happy with her. And she is a great physician in Ormond Beach off of Granada, and she does all kinds of modalities. And as I keep teasing you, we are going to have her on the show here as soon as she is ready to do it. She's prepared to come down and we're going to put together a nice interview with her and her associate. And I'm looking forward to that. Her information will also be in the show notes. Until next time, be max fit and be max well.